Support for this podcast is brought to you by this summer's must-read novel, Harry's Trees, by John Cohen. After the loss of his wife, Harry Crane plans to lose himself in the remote woods of Pennsylvania's endless mountains, but fate intervenes in the form of a wise old librarian who sets in motion a series of unlikely events that lead Harry back into the light. This uplifting story is a reminder of the enduring presence of goodness in the world, even when it seems dark. Discover the magic of Harry's Trees today, download the audiobook, or pick up a copy wherever books are sold. all the books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases this is episode 164 and today we are talking about books being released on june 26 2018 and more i'm liberty hardy here with amanda nelson and we're coming to you from bookriot.com hi hey how's it going pretty good it's a million degrees and my hair is very large and that's just <laughs> where we are speaking of hair I have like a million little things I have to change in the intros because, you know, we have a rotating cast now, so I forgot to take out the redhead thing, so I almost said, here with my fellow well redhead, Amanda Nelson. <laughs> I am not now, nor, I don't think I've ever been a redhead. Yeah, it's, it's, no. it's, it's, it's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to give it a go. I just, you know, lightening my hair is, no, yeah, impossible. Uh, well. <laughs> womp womp. So. Alas, I shall never have a Jessica Rabbit moment. <laughs> she has a great redhead. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to talk about books because I got nothing. It's one of those what? days. It's been a Monday. <laughs> it, is, it is Monday. We are recording on Monday. Yes. Um, yeah, I As guess we, we do. could do that. Talk about yeah. books. All right, go. I go, go, loved this first book an unreasonable amount. I was so delighted at how good it is. It's called Salt Lane, and it's by William Shaw. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you might remember that I talked about a bird... Uh, a, I talked about a bird. Oh, my goodness. I talked about a <laughs> book last year called The Bird Watcher, and that was also by William Shaw. It was about a police sergeant in a small town in the Kentish countryside, and this is the same author. It's the same area, but instead of being about the gentleman from that book... It's about his co-worker, Sergeant Alexandra Caputi, who I tried to find out how you say that, and I could not find anybody who could agree online how to say Caputi, so I'm just going to go with that. Um, so this one stars her, and it's actually the first in a series now. The books are going to be about her. Um, and it was a wise choice because this story is so fantastic. Uh, she is a sergeant in the police department in this small town. Uh, she has been transferred there. We know that you don't have to have read the first book at all to know anything because he, he drops these things into this one. She has been transferred there because she was having an affair with her married boss back when she was in London. So to kind of diffuse the situation and avoid a scandal, she transferred. That's where she met the guy in the first, in the Birdwatcher and, you know, whatever. But now we just know that she's very capable. She's fabulous. She's in this small town. And at the start of the book... There's a young couple with their baby at home, and there's a knock on the door, and it's a homeless woman who is in obvious distress, and she tells the man in the house, um, I'm your mother. And he's like, that's not possible because my mom died when I was very little, and I was raised by my aunt. And she's like, no, I'm your mother. And so they get to talking, and she sleeps over at his house, and the next day she's gone. And then the, the book opens after that with the police showing up at his door, and they say, you know, we're really sorry to tell you um, your mother has died. And he's like, what? But she was just here. And they're like, no, no, the body that we found has been dead for several weeks. 
And he's, so you don't know, like, what's going on? Like, who is that lady? What's happening? So, so they find a body in the water. They believe it's this man's mother. They don't know where she's been, what she's been doing. They don't know who the other woman was in the house, why she was there. But while they're investigating this, they find another body in, like, the most unfortunate place in the slurry in a farm, which, if you don't know what that is, is where they put all the manure runoff, um, which is just so gross. And they don't know who this gentleman is who has been murdered and dumped in this slurry. And so it's so unusual for them to have one murder, and now they have two. And so while Alexander is trying to deal with all of this, she's also having issues with her teenage daughter, who's just being a teenager, mostly. You know, her teenage daughter has taken up bird watching. She loves to go outside. So she often wanders off and doesn't come back on time and it stresses her out. And there's a lot of tension between them. And she's reminded of the strained relationship that she has with her mother, who was also a police officer at one time. Uh, and she actually invites her mother to come and stay, but her mother knows that it's sort of like she wants her to be a babysitter for her daughter because she has all this going on and she can't be home and, and she wants someone to keep an eye on her daughter. Um, it's, it's, there's so many layers and it's so real. The character reminded me a lot of The Sergeant on Happy Valley, which is, like, the grimmest TV show I've ever seen. And, like, and that's a lot coming from me. But the woman who plays The Sergeant and her character, it, like, herself, is just fantastic. It also reminded me of Carrie Mulligan in Collateral, which was possibly the most amazing performance I've ever seen in acting. Like, the show itself ultimately kind of let me down, but if you watch that, you will not believe Carrie Mulligan. Anyway, I'm getting distracted, but... Like, there's also a lot in that story that fits with this. There's a, there's undocumented migrant workers that are living in the fields, and they might have uh, some involvement in what's going on. Um, it's just a very real, very human story. She seems so realistic and likable, and also, like, curmudgeonly, and, like, she has her flaws. Um, and it's a great police procedural, and it's a great mystery. So I give it two enthusiastic bird thumbs up. Birds don't have <laughs> thumbs, but that's okay. Uh, again, it's called Salt Lane, and it's by William Shaw. All right. My first pick is Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. I am obsessed with this book. I will um, say that it needs a trigger warning for violence against children and everyone else. Just violence. Everyone gets a little bit of it in Trail of Lightning, or a lot of it. Um, so this is a near-future post-apocalyptic novel in which um, it's like very climate fiction-based, where the coasts um, have been essentially drowned and everyone is fleeing to the interior of the country, um, which means that the Navajo reservation that's located in the middle of the country in this world has become kind of like the capital of the country, basically. They uh, retain a lot of wealth and resources. Um, they've built walls around the reservation. They take in refugees. Um, and also they're like gods and monsters have started walking the earth again, and they call it the sixth world. So the main character's name is Maggie. She's a Navajo. Uh, they say Dinata in the, I think I hope I'm saying that right, in the um, book. She's a monster hunter. Uh, she had a really traumatic, violent experience as a teenager that awoke this, like, supernatural ability to kill in her. And she goes under, she comes under the mentorship of a Navajo monster hunter who's, like, kind of a Hercules sort of figure, like a demigod. Um, and he trains her to kill monsters who are terrorizing people um, in this new, uh, you know, like, not world order, but this, like, new era of civilization. Um, and... 
he up and leaves her like about a year before the book opens. And none of it, this is not spoilery. Like you find this out very quickly. Um, he abandons her because he sees this darkness in her that he doesn't think is going to go away. He thinks she enjoys what she's doing with the killing, you know, a little bit too much. So he leaves her. And so she's just very down and out. Like she lives in a trailer with a bunch of dogs on the reservation doing nothing until one day she gets called by a small um, little village to uh, come find a girl who they think has been taken by a monster. So she does that. She goes off, um, hunts this monster down. But when she finds it, she realizes there's something very odd about this particular monster who she's killed. He doesn't fit anything that she's seen before. So she enlists the aid of a guy named Kai, who's like the grandson of this elderly man who's been taking care of Maggie uh, for much of her life. And uh, he, Kai, is himself a kind of unconventional sort of medicine man. And together they go off to solve the mystery of who is calling this kind of monster down into the world and like what big greater evil do they need to fight? And there's like a conspiracy. Um, I really loved everything about this book. I, it's got that kind of Mad Max gritty post-apocalyptic thing going on where water is in really short supply. Oil kind of doesn't exist anymore. Coffee is used as currency and trade and is like worth its weight in gold. Um, everything is like dirty and dusty um, and cars run on nonsense fuels. Like everybody's just getting real creative about how to make stuff go in this world. And Maggie is a very like just dark um traumatized character who is trying to do the right thing but she also has all of this baggage that she's carrying along and she's got a terrible temper so that gets in the way a lot um but the like the world is so fascinating and um you can tell that Rebecca Roanhorse put so much research into this novel, like the, um, the just even the language stuff that she probably had to, well, I, I know she did because I spoke to her publicist, the language work that she had to do getting like the Navajo language right in the book was, um, it's just very, very impressive. And I read it in a sitting. I could not stop reading it, even though like I am a little bit squicky about really, really violent stuff, especially when kids are involved, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. It's great. It's very, yeah, Mad Max. Mad Max on an Navajo <laughs> reservation. So that's Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorn. She already sold out her first printing. It hasn't even hit the shelves yet. I'm so, and she's got a middle grade novel coming out next year with Rick Riordan's imprint, and then another fantasy novel that I think is Aztec-based that comes out in 2020. Nice. So she is, like, having a moment, and I'm so here for it. Excellent. I would like to tell you about our first sponsor. Okay. <laughs> I was like, is she still there? Does Thank she care? You. Please I know tell she me. is. Um, I don't know if you're talking to me or to them. Tell us. I'm talking to everybody in general. So our first sponsor today is Those Other Women by Nicola Moriarty. Nicola Moriarty weaves another stunning domestic novel in this story of working women whose Facebook group, designed to forge a connection and solidarity among childless women, quickly descends into something much more sinister when one of the members starts leaking secrets. Those Other Women is a story of privilege, unspoken rivalries, and small acts of vengeance with huge repercussions. Best-selling author Marion Keyes tweeted her love for the book and said she devoured it, loved it, and totally escaped into it. Best-selling author Susan Elizabeth Phillips says Nicola Moriarty is on her shortlist of favorite women's fiction authors. And if you're wondering about her last name, yes indeed, Nicola Moriarty is Leanne Moriarty's sister. Leanne Moriarty, who wrote Big Little Lies and those other fabulous books. So this book is out now from William Morrow. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, and you can pick it up wherever books are sold. We thank them for sponsoring. So I decided to talk about this book again today because it's out in paperback, and it's a great book for this time of year, I think. It is Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. And like I said, now in paperback, 
It's a really satisfying book. It's perfect to take to the beach. It's perfect to take on a trip. You're like, I want something light, but not too light. I want something gritty, but not too dark. It's perfect. It's about a young woman named Abby Williams. She grew up in an industrial town in Indiana. She hated every minute of it. She couldn't wait to get out. And now 10 years later, she's working as an environmental lawyer in Chicago. Uh, but her work sends her back to her hometown. There is a plant there that might be doing some nefarious things in, to the environment, and they want her to investigate, make a report. She knows it's a bad idea, but she kind of hears home calling her, you know, in her heart, but she doesn't think it's a great idea, but she goes anyway. And she finds that some things haven't changed, some things have, that sort of thing where, you know, people that used to be mean to you in school come up to you like they're your best friend now, you know, like, oh, that was school, you know, whatever. Um, but she's also reminded of some old troubles that she had. There were some girls in school, like this very popular clique, who came down with a mysterious illness in their senior year. They started getting really sick. It was sort of like, um, you know, the fever in the Megan Abbott. It's that kind of thing. Like these girls, they didn't know what was happening to them. And the queen bee, the ringleader, Casey, disappeared right after school was over. Like nobody knows where she went or what happened to her. Um, she just took off. So as... Abby is looking into uh, accusations against this plant. You know, she's sort of opening old wounds, not just for herself, but for the town. And there are people who might go to great lengths to stop her from finding out the answers. Because as the further she goes, she realizes that some of these old secrets are coming up. So it's a really steady, solid debut. It's like, it just, th there was nothing surprising about it. Like, there are no twists that you're going to go, ah, like... It's just, it's like a great read, and it's like a one-sitter, and if you like Megan Abbott, if you like Gillian Flynn, um, it's perfect. So again, it's called Bonfire, and it is by Kristen Ritter. And yes, that Kristen Ritter, the actress. <laughs> I love that book. That's oh, it was one. so good. Yes. I'm Very always so summary. What's that? Very summary. Yeah. I'm always so jealous of people like, I can barely walk upright, and then you have like people who can act and also sing... And also write books and like, yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? So you set up just, all the talent. What's wrong yes. with you? It's great. All right. My next book actually came out last week on June 19th. It is The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland. If you are a sucker for books about books, then this one is for you. I read it and have been pitching it to people as Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine if it existed in the world of the storied life of A.J. Fickrey. So if you could <laughs> mash those two books together, this is what you would get. Um, it's about a woman named Loveday Cardu who has a traumatic childhood that unfolds throughout the book that you learn more and more about as the book continues. You know pretty immediately that she was in foster care as a teenager and, and as an older child and then through her teen years. Um, and that she, as a young teenager, got a job at a bookstore called the Lost for Words Bookshop where she has worked um, until the present day. And now she's in her 20s. She is very cranky and quirky in that Eleanor Oliphant sort of way, except she does not lack um, social awareness. She's not She's not at, as far gone as Eleanor Oliphant is. Um, she is not rude or anything like that, she, but she's rude in her head. <laughs> Just, she doesn't necessarily say all this stuff out loud, but you are like in her head. Um, and so she's been working at this bookstore, maintaining her, apart, her like one-room apartment, and live in life, not really um, putting herself out there. She doesn't go out. She doesn't socialize. Uh, none of that sort of thing. And then 
you know, one day <laughs> she finds an abandoned book of poetry on the street outside of her work and she puts it up in the uh, lost, like on the lost bulletin. Um, and through that like single event, she meets a poet. Um, and as their relationship progresses, you learn more about um, a kind of an ex-boyfriend who's coming around harassing her. And also a few suspicious deliveries show up at the bookstore, three suspicious deliveries, which turn out to all be books from her childhood. So obviously somebody, is it her new boyfriend? Is it her horrible ex-boyfriend? Is it Someone from her family has found her, knows where she is, and is sending her these things. Is it a message? Is someone trying to scare her? Like, what is happening? Um, so, you know, quirky, quirky woman with a, with a traumatic and odd past in a bookstore. Um, all of the side characters are the best. The owner of the bookstore is like this <laughs> elderly man who has had so many adventures in life and is secretly independently wealthy and you can't tell what he's making up and what he's not making up. Like, did he work for MI5? Did he meet the love of his life, like in Tunisia somewhere? Like all of these things could be true. You don't really know because he doesn't try to make any money with the store at all. Um, and that's one of Loveday's jobs is to like actually make the store profitable, but he doesn't seem actually like care to care about it. And she's a very snooty reader. So in the way that like, AJ Figri scratched that itch a little bit. Um, I think that this would also scratch that itch. If you like reading about like just, you know, black books, cranky book people, right up, right up your alley. So that's The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland. I just got that last week. I'm going to read it's that so tonight. good. Yes. It's, it's like, I don't want to say heartwarming necessarily because, you know, she does have a really traumatized past and um, it deals with a lot of really heavy stuff. But it is just like nice you know like it's just a nice book and i really liked it excellent and it has oh what i noticed when i got it that it has a blurb on the front from the author of the uh, midnight at the bright ideas bookshop i was like mm-hmm. this is so meta like let's just do all blurbs by people who wrote books that books about take bookstores. place in bookstores <laughs> yes i'd read all of them I, oh, I oh yeah them. i try to yeah um my next pick actually came out uh, march 13th and I don't think I talked about it on the show. I am getting to that age, and I hit my head a lot, where I don't remember, but I don't think I talked about it on the show. And I've read it three times, and I'm ready to read it a fourth time, so I thought I might talk about it a little bit, because if you ask me, it's probably my favorite book of the year. So it's called The Parking Lot Attendant, and I'm going to try... Uh, I looked up how to pronounce the author's name. I could not find it anywhere, so I'm going to copy Rincey when she talked about it on the video. Her name is Nafakoti Tamarat, and it takes place uh, in the beginning of this century. It's a, uh, narrated by an unnamed 16-year-old girl. Um, she is, at the beginning of the book, living in this sort of island commune with her father. It's an unknown island. We don't know like where they are. Um, it's sort of a utopia, but she and her father are very unliked by the people who live there, uh, and they're having a bit of a problem. And right as she starts to set you up with what's happening there, she goes back and tells you how they ended up on this island. And she and her father are part of Boston's tight-knit Ethiopian community. And this girl falls in with a very charismatic huckster. Uh, She meets him walking one day. He is a parking lot attendant. Um, But he is also like a very feared and respected man and he sort of rules over his kingdom uh, sitting in this little booth in the parking lot like all the other people in their community you know they defer to him and um, her father 
tells her that she needs to stay away from this man, but she does not. She disobeys him. Um, and she ends up hanging out there, like, after school. And it's evident that he is up to illegal and dangerous activities, but she's completely mesmerized by him, as I was by this book. The writing is so stupendous. She, like, I love the experience of reading a book where you just sort of feel like you already know all the words in it. Like, it just flows through you and you just... I mean, I've read it three times in just this year. I, I love it. Um, and it's it's so great, you know, she learned, like, why she does what she does. You know, that sort of, like, um, you know, parental friction that arises sometimes and, like, how she disobeys her father and how you would rather hang out with, you know, the adult that lets you do what you want as opposed to the one that tells you, you know, you shouldn't do things even though ultimately it's going to cause problems for them and they're going to end up on an island, um, you know. <laughs> and it's about how the places we are from make us who we are. And, you know, how we, how they end up in this failing utopia. Um, like I said, it might be my favorite book of the year. I go back and forth, but it's, it's just so mesmerizing and fantastic. I cannot wait to read something else by her. Her writing is so incredible. And every time I read it, uh, you know, I take something else away. So again, it is called The Parking Lot Attendant and it is by Nafkoti Tamarat. All right. Second sponsor time. Yay. And it is my turn. And I'm talking about... Annotated, which is our very own podcast. Annotated is an audio documentary podcast series about books, language, and reading. Episodes are 15 to 25 minutes long and cover a whole range of bookish topics. Um, some of our past episodes of Annotated covered how J.P. Morgan's personal librarian became the most glamorous librarian in the world, even as she guarded a really dangerous secret. Um, the story of how the book 1984 came to be written and how the CIA was involved in it, uh, and also an exploration of why we we care so much about the Oxford, Oxford comma that begins with a very nerdy love story. So if you're into shows like This American Life or Planet Money or 99% Invisible, then you're definitely going to love Annotated. Um, and obviously it's not, I'm not just saying that, or maybe I am just saying that. You never know with people like me. No, just kidding. It's awesome. Um, so from a couple of reviewers on Apple Podcast, uh, Kristen A123 said, this podcast is everything I want in a bookish version of This American Life. Um, and this from AK Burke, this podcast fills a gap in my listening life that I didn't even know was there. Um, and from Otters and Puffins, which is the best reviewer name ever, annotated is one of the most fascinating and informative podcasts I've ever come across. I can think of few shows that offer such a wonderful combination of information, storytelling, insight, and fun. So yeah, don't let you know Otters and Puffins have the last word. Go get annotated for free on Apple Podcasts or you know wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Sometime okay. this person who is Otters and Puffins is going to like open up the internet and there's going to be like a whole group of people who are like, we love Otters and Puffins. We love yes. Otters. Like a, whole, like a whole like commune built around this username and like how awesome it is. And it's going to be like the sequel to A Canticle for Leibowitz. It's just going to be like a whole religion built on <laughs> Otters and Puffins. We're so, so happy good. with like, that name. I don't get... <laughs> I want an explanation. Like, do, do Otters and Puffins coexist somewhere in the world? And like this person just sees them a lot I, they do where i live oh okay i honestly don't know like i have yeah. no idea we, what either animals habitat yeah. would be we have river otters right mm -hmm. here on the shoreline and puffins that live on the islands right off the shore so like half a mile there you go we also have river otters but there are no puffins it's here. like the jets and the sharks though <laughs> it's really hard for them to snap though the puffins <laughs> okay maybe what if otters and puffins like lives 
two blocks from you. We don't have to keep talking about this. We're just like writing all fan fiction about otters and puffins right now. I am otters and puffins. <laughs> the secret is out. I don't feel like that's the, there's not like enough violent puns involved in that screen name for it to be you. It's true. All okay. Right. Back to books. It's still me. Yes, me again. <laughs> um, I am so excited to tell you all about this one. It's called Confessions of the Fox by Jordi Rosenberg. Um, and this is just the like Sarah Waters read alike I have been looking for for years. Queer Dickens is what you're getting with Confessions of the Fox. So it's set in 18th century London and it's uh, like gender. Is it gender flipped? Yeah, kind of like just a queer retelling of the Three Penny Opera. Um, And it's super, super meta. So it also has like a Nabokov thing going on. Um, So Dr. Voth is the person telling this story. He's an academic um, who has been recently put on unpaid leave, um, who has discovered a manuscript about Jack Shepard, who is a legendary thief of the 18th century London underworld. And Dr. Voth... um, in reading this manuscript, realizes that it's a completely different version from any of the other documents that exist about Jack Shepard. In this manuscript, Jack Shepard is a trans man, and he becomes, uh, yeah, like partnered with, partner both in crime and in life, a woman named Bess, who is of South Asian descent, and she's not portrayed as South Asian in any of the other extant documentation about Jack Shepard's life. So you're following both Dr. Voth as he's reading through this manuscript, and there are these like really frantic and academic um, footnotes through the whole book in Dr. like Dr. Voth talking to us, the readers, about the manuscript as it's happening, but also about what's happening to Dr. Voth as he's reading through this manuscript and discovering that this big historical figure uh, was, is, was not who he's portrayed to be now, um, and neither is Bess, his partner, and there's a whole, like, conspiracy happening behind the scenes about him trying to authenticate authenticate the manuscript. Other people want the manuscript from Dr. Voth, so he's got to, like, hide it. So there's, like, stories on stories on stories on stories happening here. But most of it, uh, and, like, it's all, it's told through these, like, these increasingly frantic footnotes, and it's just, like, so engaging and engrossing. Um, but the manuscript itself is the meat of the book, makes up most of the text. And so it's this just so, I don't, I don't even, I could not put it down, engrossing read about this kid named Jack in the 1700s who is trans and becomes like a lock pick and just gets deeper and deeper, a lock picker and becomes deeper and deeper involved in the London underworld, becomes this like super famous jailbreaker and thief. And there's, you know, just like rogues and scamps and orphans and street urchins everywhere. It is so good. It's like every literary itch I have scratched in one book. It's amazing. So yeah, go read that. Confessions of the Fox by Jordi Rosenberg. I'm making such hand gestures right now. I wish you could see. (laughs) I can hear it. It sounds like, do you have bracelets on or something? It sounded like you were... it's my chair, like, moving back and forth as I gesticulate wildly about how great this book is. It's so great. I love that phrase. Um, I use it all the time, gesticulate wildly. Yeah. And Jordy Rosenberg, I will say, I know I, I already, like, did the end read yeah, statement of the title, but I wanted to add this, is a professor of 18th century literature and queer transgender theory. And, like, it is, you can feel all of that knowledge just, like, shoved into this book in the most excellent way so um yeah all right now i'm really done (laughs) it's so exciting because like i would like a new sarah waters novel every year but it doesn't happen so this is just probably for the so exciting oh 
So, um, my last pick is, last week, I, you know, I spared you the Warren Zevon book, but I'm going full Liberty's Wheelhouse with my last pick. <laughs> my last pick is Fierce, The History of Leopard Print by Joe Weldon. It is a gorgeous design book full of color photographs and amazing information. I love a micro history. Like, I love a micro history. I read one about toothpicks once. I mean, I love that. <laughs> so... This And when I was a little kid, when people asked me what my favorite color was, I said leopard print. So this is like, this speaks to me, you know. And it's about, you know, how, like, leopards use leopard print for camouflage. But in society, with humans, it, like, makes you stand out. And it's about all different kind of aspects to dealing with it. First, she starts with different kinds of leopards. You know, there are jaguars and cheetahs and ocelots and snow leopards, my favorite. And how... Leopard print has appeared in fashion, how it has been shown throughout history. There's all these old illustrations. It goes way back to ancient Egypt and how it, some in some parts of the world only royalty were, were allowed to wear um, leopard prints. Uh, you know, unfortunately for the leopards, a lot of this older stuff was actually them that they were wearing. You know, I am 100% against that, um, but I am a fan of, of their markings. Um, so she talks about, like, uh, there's a chapter about femme fatales and, like, how... The, you know, other women sort of wore leopard print in books and movies for a while and, and all the other times that it has appeared in arts and entertainment. And like I said, it's just so full of pictures, like all these great images. Um, and then, like, people who have worn leopard print in the 21st century, there's great pictures of Beyonce and Michelle Obama, Nicki Minaj, Betsy Johnson. Now, when I was 18 years old, I took my salary for, like, I think, like, several weeks and I bought a $400 Betsy Johnson leopard dress. And I wore it as much as I possibly could for, like, ten years until it fell apart. I loved that dress so much. It was like a snow leopard. And last year I found an identical version on eBay for not that much at all. So I bought it and I've been wearing it around the house because I love leopard print. So that is my crazy... Um, uh, frivolous money spending story and also how much I love leopard print. So again, this book is so <laughs> great and it's called Fierce, The History of Leopard Print by Joe Weldon. Okay, my last book is called Starless. It's by Jacqueline Carey. This uh, actually came out on June 12th and I'm going to kind of spoil this book a little bit uh -oh. um, because there's no way to talk about it without talking about it, you know? It's not an ending spoiler. I'm not spoiling the ending, but there is a major plot point that I am going to talk about because there's just, I've thought I've like so much shower time spent thinking about how to talk about this book without <laughs> saying the words I'm about to say, but I can't. Also, Jacqueline Carey did, Carrie did an interview about the book where she says this like in the first sentence. So You're if good. you need to fast forward, do it. So um, Starless is an epic fantasy novel based on the Afghani practice of bacha posh, which is where they, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, it's a cultural practice in parts of those countries where girls can be raised as boys in families who need a male in the house for whatever reason. So they can go off unaccompanied and make money, go to school, whatever. Um, and so it is based on that practice, This, except it's a fantasy novel. So in this world, Kai is our main character, and from birth, Kai is destined to serve as the bodyguard of the princess. Her name is Zariah. Um, he's trained in how to kill and, and be sneaky, sneaky, and like how to be a super warrior dude, like way out in the desert. 
Um, he is raised as a boy and is, in fact, not told that he was born female until he is about to hit puberty. And then after that, he really struggles with gender, how to express gender um, throughout the rest of, you know, the story as it goes. And it's big. It's like 600 pages. Um, and since it makes up so much of the book, that's why I felt like I couldn't not say it. Because that's like essentially what the book is about, is about Kai navigating his conflicting identity, conflicted within himself. Um, so he, uh, I'd say the first like half, maybe not even half, maybe like third of the book is that excellent fantasy thing of like watching a kid train to be a badass. Like I love that sort of stuff, the creative ways that Jacqueline Carey comes up with um, to make him just a really great warrior. Uh, and then the last sections of the book are where he goes off to court, meets Zariah, um, and they become wrapped up in this prophecy to defeat, you know, the great and like a dark god is rising and they are the prophecy um, pair. They're going to go off and save the world. And so they go on this like huge epic quest to do that. The cool thing about this book, aside from the interesting ways that she's uh, exploring identity and that Zariah, the princess, uh, is disabled and walks with canes, um, is that the gods in this world walk like on earth. They interact with people. Um, it's called starless because, you know, they used to be up in the sky shining brightly and then they fell to earth because they were the worst and so they were punished and all that sort of thing. So the, the gods, like, come and interact with people pretty regularly. You can manipulate them a little bit. They help the couple, Kai, the partners Kai and Zariah on their journey to save the world or not. Um, and, yeah, and I did, I, I like, I loved it. It's super fast-paced. I think the way that Carrie's exploring this idea of a person being raised to think that they are male, finding out that they were born female, what that, like, how did you do that? Like, how could you possibly have hit that? But there, he, he had never met a woman ever until he was like 11 or 12. Um, so had had no reason to think of it. It's just so interesting. I thought it was so, so interesting. And then the mythology part of it was just really, really cool. Um, and the adventure I got really wrapped up in. I will say um, that a good pairing a good book to read with this um, is by Nadia Hashimi. It's called One Half from the East. And this is a middle grade novel about the practice of Bachaposh. Since Starless is not like an own voices uh, exploration of that concept, I wanted to recommend an own voices exploration of that, that cultural practice. So it's a middle grade novel. It won't take you like any time to read. It's a great story in and of itself about a little girl who was raised as a boy who's, and then like is given the choice of, do you want to continue to, to live as a boy or do you want to live as a girl, um, once she comes of age? Um, so that's a really great pairing. And I just realized when I Googled the, cause I couldn't remember the name of the author who wrote one half from the East that Nadia Hashimi is running for Congress right now. So wow. if you live in Maryland, there you go, go vote, I guess. Okay. So that is Starless by Jacqueline Carey. Nice. It's yeah. big. It's super big, but fast. I read it in like a weekend. That's great. Yeah. So what are you going to read next? Um, I just started the f the fourth book in Alan Bradley's Flavia DeLuce mystery. I love her. Series. Yeah, I do too. It's uh, Which one is it? I'm Half Sick of Shadows. I just started it in audio because it takes place during Christmas and it's so hot in here. I just wanted to read a book about <laughs> snow. Just about snow and depressing English winters. So that's what I'm doing. If you're unfamiliar with this series, it's about like a 10 or 11 year old little girl in the 50s who lives in a big drafty English estate house. They're in like genteel poverty. Um, and she is a chemistry savant and has there's her whole her like all of her sisters hate her um and and she solves murders in like her little village it's just great i love it what about I really, you 
I, so a couple weeks ago on, on the Backlist show, I was talking about Elizabeth McCracken and all mm-hmm. of her Backlist and how much I love her and how her upcoming book is my most anticipated read of 2019. And the galley gods were listening because I got a copy. I got a copy on Friday afternoon when I had the most work to do this weekend and today. <laughs> and I've just been like, must get through work and read this book because I am so excited. She is probably my favorite author. We're talking about a lot mm. of favorites here today. Um, I just love her. And this one is about a woman who is found in a town, or I can't remember if she's as a child or as an, an older woman, who doesn't know who she is or where she came from and nobody can figure it out. So she stays in the town and she becomes a citizen and she opens a bowling alley like you do. Um, you know, I was imagining it. It's like Gina Davis and the Long Kiss Goodnight, but without all the, you know, psycho spy flipping, you know, crazy wire cross <laughs> stuff. You know, she just never remembers who she is instead of being a spy. So, um, but I mean, she's my favorite. I'm so excited. I, I can't even sit still. I'm, I'm so happy. Um, so that's what I'm going to read next. And Exciting. then maybe the last, what is it? The last for words bookshop. Lost for words bookshop. Yes. Yes. So, palate cleanser. Yeah. So we did it. We did. Well, thanks for joining me again. Um, that is all that we have time for today. Thank you to our sponsors, Harry Trees by John Cohen and Those Other Women by Nicola Moriarty. We, they are available wherever books are sold, and we will have links to them. And also, go check out Annotated, our book podcast, another book podcast. Uh, we'll have a link to that as well. If you want to tell us something, you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. If you want to find us online, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Miss Liberty, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today and talk about puffins and otters, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash allthebooks, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Sorry I was late again. <laughs> <laughs>